Please open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 12. We'll be looking at the whole chapter this morning. As you turn there, I want you to think about those times in your life that have been life-changing. Those events in your life that have been life-changing. Perhaps you're thinking of an anniversary. You celebrate it every year. It's every year comes around and you remember it. It, it changed your life. and it, we, Everybody has one. You call it a birthday. That's one celebration. It changed your life. Uh, and so it's celebrated every year. And these events come into our lives. And sometimes they simply signify, in the case of a birthday, that our lives are beginning, at least outwardly. And uh, we, we celebrate them. These, these events tell us we are hitting another marker, another time. And some events, however, they so change things that we don't just celebrate them once or twice, but we celebrate them all the time, every year. Every time we look forward to their coming, we remember them. They, they, they shape our year. And such is the case with what we are going to look at today. The people of Israel find themselves in slavery. Not too long ago, we were finishing up our series on the book of Genesis, and it ends with the people of Israel going down into Egypt. Joseph, one of the sons of Isaac, an Israelite, he himself is hailed as the hero, as the savior of Egypt through his own wisdom, rather the wisdom that the Lord has given him. He has rescued not only the Egyptian people, but God's people. The Exodus chapter 1 opens and reminds us that uh, people of Israel are still there, and after many years, they have... A king, a pharaoh, has arisen to power that has forgotten long ago the contributions of Joseph and the Israelite people. And the Egyptians, intimidated by how numerous the Israelites had been, they enslaved them. And God provides Moses, one who was going to lead and deliver his people out of Egypt And he provides his deliverer. And Moses, we find early on, he acts before God calls him to, before God gives him the go-ahead. He acts. He sees the, the dire need of his people, and he tries on his own power to rescue them, to raise them up, and to rebel. It falls short. He ends up fleeing out of Egypt, fleeing for his life. And while he is in the wilderness, while he is far from Egypt, it is there God calls him back. It's in that moment, from retirement, so to speak, that God, calls Abraham, that God calls Moses to return to Egypt and there deliver his people. And Moses initially doesn't want to come, doesn't want anything to do with it. He is terrified, he is nervous. Eventually he bows the knee, returns, and follows through. And beginning in Exodus chapter 7, God gives... He promises before that he will send plagues through Moses and that he is going to buy these plagues. He is going to redeem. He is going to rescue. He is going to deliver his people. So in Exodus chapter 7, in fact, from chapter 7 to chapter 9, we have the first nine plagues that are given. In chapter 11, beginning in chapter 11, and then in chapter 12, and in the first half of chapter 13... All of that is devoted to the last and final plague. Something momentous is happening. 
And after nine plagues, it is fit to wonder, is there anything that could dislodge the people of Israel from Egypt? Is there anything that could rescue and redeem? Is there any way possible that Pharaoh will finally let the people of Israel go? And what's ironic is that what finally breaks the power of Egypt, the thing that finally releases Israel from the power of Pharaoh, isn't a battle, isn't a a grand act of God, what ultimately is the thing that brings release and redemption is a lamb. Is a lamb. And so we come to Exodus chapter 12. And I know it is a fairly long chapter, but I'm going to read it for us this morning. There is a lot packed in. It is, a, it is an action-packed chapter. In chapter 11, God had told Moses to go to Pharaoh and to deliver his word, to announce what he was about to do. And in chapter 12, the, the, the scene changes from Pharaoh's throne room to the people of Israel. And now the Lord, through Moses, is talking to the people of Israel. Verse 1 in chapter 12. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, But on the tenth day of of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him... And his neighbor next to his house, take it according to the number of persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the house, houses where they eat it. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat it raw nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire, its head with its legs and entrails. You shall let none of it remain until morning. And what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire. The picture here is that the sacrifice, this lamb, there's going to be no leftovers here. It is a holy act, a holy sacrifice. There's nothing to be left over. Totally consumed. And thus you shall eat it. In this way you shall eat it, with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So this day shall be a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses. For whoever eats leavened bread from that first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from from Israel. 
On the first day there shall be a holy convocation. And on the seventh day there shall be a holy convocation for you. No manner of work shall be done on them, but that which everyone must eat, that only may be prepared by you. So you shall observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And for on this same day, I will have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as an everlasting ordinance. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. For seven days, no leaven shall be found in your home, since whoever eats what is leavened, that same person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel. Whether he is a stranger or a native of the land, you shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwellings. You shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Pick out And take lambs for yourselves according to your families and kill the Passover lamb. And you shall take a a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lintel and the the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two, two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door. And not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. And you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. It will come to pass when you come to the land which the Lord will give you, just as he promised that you shall keep the service. And it shall be when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say to them, it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. So the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the children of Israel went away and did so, just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. And it came to pass at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captain, captive who was in the dungeons and all the firstborn of livestock. So Pharaoh rose in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. And he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise, get out from among my people, both you and the children of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you have said. Also, take all of your flocks and your herds as you have said and be gone, and bless me also. I love that at the end. Now, at the very end, give me a blessing. That, that's a lot of gall right there, right? And the Egyptians urged the people that they might send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, having their kneading bowls bound up in their clothes and on their shoulders. Now the children of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, and they had asked from the Egyptians articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they, so that they granted, that is, the Egyptians granted the Israelites what they requested. And thus the Israelites plundered the Egyptians. And the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot, besides children. A mixed multitude went up with them also, and flocks and herds, and a great deal of livestock. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough which they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, because they were driven out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared provisions for themselves." Now the sojourn of the children of Israel who lived in the land, who lived in Egypt, was four hundred and thirty years. 
And it came to pass at the end of the 430 years, on the very same day, it came to pass that all the armies of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It is a night of solemn observance to the Lord for bringing them out of the land of Egypt. This is that night of the Lord, a solemn observance for all the children of Israel throughout their generations. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the ordinance of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat it. But every man's servant who was bought for money, when you have circumcised him, then he may eat of it. A sojourner, a stranger, and a hired servant, they shall not eat it. In one house it shall be eaten. You shall not carry any of the flesh outside the house, nor shall you break one of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. And when a stranger dwells with you and wants to keep the Passover to the Lord, that is a foreigner wants to keep the Passover. Let all his males be circumcised and then, let, and then let him come near and keep it. And he shall be as a native of the land for no uncircumcised person shall eat it. One law shall be for the native born and for the stranger who dwells among you. Thus all the children of Israel did as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. So they did. And it came to pass on that very same day that the Lord brought the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt according to their armies. I realize that was a lengthy passage. Would you join me in a word of prayer as we enter in to study God's word this morning? Father, your word is good. Would you help us this morning dig out our ears this morning so that we may hear it? Uncover our heart, our hearts that we may Respond that we may feel your word, allowing it to have its perfect work in our lives. Give us grace to this end, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. There are a number of things that lead us to see that this is a massively significant event for the people of Israel. There are four things, really. You can see that Moses, in this chapter, he, or in this section, he slows down the narrative. I mentioned already that from chapter 7 to chapter 10, he, Moses spends, really, it's about halfway through chapter 7, when we find these, uh, the, the first nine plagues all listed. It's about three-plus chapters that are devoted to the first nine plagues. But this last plague is given almost three chapters in and of itself. Moses is emphasizing what's happening here by, so to speak, putting his finger on the record and slowing things down. He is drawing our attention to the importance of this event. More than this, unlike every other plague, the Lord tells Moses, this one is going to succeed. Oh, he tells him, Pharaoh isn't going to respond well. He's going to harden his heart. In fact, I'm going to harden his heart. And he's not going to let you go by simply announcing it. But by the end of the plague, then Pharaoh will let you go. And not just let you go, but he and all of Egypt, they're going to beg you to leave. More than this, one of the things that's remarkable about this plague is that God is the one who acts on his own. In every other plague, Moses and Aaron are participating in some way. 
They are striking something with their rods. They are raising their rods. They are speaking words. They're doing something, and then the plague comes. But in this one, Moses and Aaron are completely passive. Their sole job is to announce what is to come, and then to watch God work. They're not allowed to join God. They're not allowed to participate. They are spectators to this. Fourth and last, one of the things that we see is that both Egyptians and Israelites experience this plague. From the fourth plague on, God had distinguished his people Israel from the people of Egypt. So that the people of Israel didn't experience these plagues in the same way that the Egyptians did. He was drawing a stark divide. He wanted all of Egypt to know that the people of Israel were his people. They belonged to him. But now, all of a sudden, all of that is erased. The destroyer is going to come. God is going to pass through. And everyone will be affected in the land. Whether Egypt, whether Egyptian or foreigner or Israelite. More than this, more than just a significant event, we find that the Passover is a defining event for Israel, for all of God's Old Testament people. This event we find in the very first two verses of chapter 2, I'm sorry, chapter 12, this event shapes their entire calendar. It reshapes it. He says, from this point on, the month that this happens... This is now your new month of the year, your first month of the year. Imagine what it would take, how great an event would be for our country for us to move the first month of the year from January to April. How significant of an event would that have to be? How large? How how earth-shattering? This event redefines the very calendar that the Israelites are using. More than this, this event shapes, not only defines the calendar for Israel, it defines who belongs to Israel. It defines who the people of God are. Over and over again throughout that chapter, you may have noticed God makes it clear that only the people of Israel are to, that all of the people of Israel are to celebrate this. This shall be an ordinance. This shall be an act that all of your people do from this point onward. It's going to be an ordinance forever. This is an act for all of Israel. He tells us this plainly in verse 47. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. But it's not just that all the people of Israel shall keep it. It's that only the people of Israel, only God's people are allowed to celebrate it. If someone else comes in, if someone else is a foreigner living in their midst, and they see it, and we want to participate too. We want to enjoy this too. God's answer is no, you're not allowed. It would be like someone from Britain wanting, you know, spending summer over here in the States. They get to July 4th. And, oh, we'd, this sounds like fun. You're going you're gonna to eat hot dogs and ham. You're going to have, you know, great food and water. All this, that sounds like, and then you're going to go out and you're going to watch fireworks at night. I, I'd love to participate. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. 
I'm sorry, who do you think we were, we were, we're celebrating our independence from? Uh-uh, you're not allowed to watch this with us. Here, everyone is cut off. Everyone who is not a part of Israel. And the way that one can partake of the supper is that they themselves have to, the, the, the men in that household have to endure the right, the ordinance of circumcision. That is so, so circumcision is that one-time act in the Old Testament that marks the people of God out. So that the people of God, men, the households of faith, they are marked out as those who have endured by faith the mark of circumcision. Circumcision was supposed to be an external mark that symbolized an internal reality. These were people that were hoping in God. These were people whose hearts were uncovered, were, were, were free and trusting in the Lord. That's what circumcision was meant to picture. And to partake of the Passover, one had to go through the rite of circumcision. And it's in this way that that baptism parallels that rite of circumcision. Just as one had to endure circumcision to be a part of the people of God, so baptism is that one-time act that marks out, that identifies those who are trusting in Christ. It is in that way that there is this parallel. But if circumcision is that one-time act that brings someone from outside the community of faith into the people of God, so the Passover is that ongoing, that yearly act that marks out those people that are continuing to trust and to follow after Lord, to be committed to Him and His people. And it's in that way that the Passover is a parallel to the Lord's table, which we are going to celebrate this morning. In fact, it is, it is at that last Passover of Christ where he, is, he gives us the bread and the cup. The Lord's table is a re-celebration, a, a, an alteration of that Passover meal. It is that ongoing act that defines those and gives shape to God's people. We are those who are still trusting in God. We have identified with Christ in the waters of baptism. And now we are continuing to pursue, to follow, to trust in Christ. So the Lord's table is that ongoing sign wherein we together remember how God has rescued us through the death and resurrection of Jesus, and it is that public signal that shows our continued faith in him. And just as bread and blood play a significant role in the Passover, so also bread and the cup play a significant role in the Lord's table. All of this is how the Passover functions, but it doesn't tell us what it means, what's going on. And Passover includes other things. It it includes threats and promises. Threats and promises. One promise in particular is that the Passover promised freedom to an enslaved nation. By the Passover, through this act, God is promising to pass over and thus free his people. They have been enslaved for decades, perhaps centuries or more, 
And God, through the Passover, achieves the liberation of his people, and he does it without any aid, without any mediation, without any help or participation from anyone. No one has to help God out in this. He is the one who does it. And because Israel is an enslaved nation, the Passover is about liberation and freedom that God brings, that God brings to a helpless people. But it also includes threats. The Passover brought the threat of death upon every living thing in Egypt. In chapter 11, verse 4 and 5, we read these words. Thus says the Lord, about midnight, I'm going to go out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne. So that's the highest position. Even to the firstborn of the female servant who is behind the handmill. That's the lowest servant. And all the firstborn animals. So this extends from the, from the castle, so to speak, all the way down to the barn and to the field. And in chapter 12, verse 12, the first part of that, we read these words. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. The the threat of death hangs like, like the blade of a guillotine over all who are present. Over every household, over every barn, over every field, whether man or beast, the firstborn male is going to die when God passes through the land. And part of what God is reminding Israel, and part of what we need to be reminded of today, is something very important. You see, Israel had, they had been working and serving under a hard master. They had been under the enslavement of Egypt, terrified of the power of Egypt. There was no power in that world greater than that of Egypt. And what God is reminding his people of is that there is one greater than Egypt. God is going to save his people, but his people need to remember that just because God saves them does not mean he is himself safe. He is dangerous. He who is holy and just and good cannot just accept those of us who aren't. God frees his people to walk and enjoy him. But that does not mean we can approach him casually. The background to the Passover is the darkness of night, but it is also the darkness of sin. This threat of death, it's it's hanging over every home over every barn stall, over every field. To come into God's presence, we need a covering for sin. But more than this, it's not just the threat of death, it's the threat of judgment. The threat of judgment in particular on all of Egypt's gods, on all man-made gods. Look at verse 12 in chapter 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt, and on that night... On that night, and I will strike and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. 
part of what the Lord has been doing all the way through Exodus. In fact, the first half of Exodus, one of the primary themes throughout it is that God acts in such a way so that first Israel will know, then Egypt and Pharaoh in particular, and then by virtue all the world will know that he alone, that God alone is the one true God, that there is no other like him, that he alone is the Lord. And this plague acts as a final judgment. It is the, 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 the chef's kiss of judgment against all these other gods. It is the, the, the ceremonial cutting down of the nets at the end of the game, marking out that you have won. It's the, the hoisting of the trophy. This act of passing over the land is God's declaration that all of these gods, that all that we worship, and all that we pursue in this life cannot satisfy, it cannot save, it cannot rescue. Passover reminds us that there are no contenders with God's with God, there are only powerless pretenders. So how does Passover work? What is this way that God has given? First thing we need to see, and we, we do not have time to look at every part. Let's just broad brush it, shall we? First thing we need to see is that there, this is an exclusive way. God doesn't give a way for Israel and a way for Egypt and another way for any other foreign person living in the land. He gives one way. And he announces it both to Egypt and to the Israelites. If you would be saved, if you would, if you would be passed over, you must do this. We are so creative in our day and age. And creating alternate ways, many ways. But the Lord has given us one. And the Passover reminds us that God himself has given us the way. It is an exclusive way. No other way of salvation. No other name under heaven. Whereby we may be saved. It is an exclusive way. More than that, this way centers on, of all things, it centers on a lamb. Of all the things that's going to finally dislodge the people of Israel out of Egypt, it's, it's this year-old, weak, helpless lamb. This lamb who, according to verse 5, it's going to be without blemish, blemish, a male in the first year. That is, it's going to be visibly perfect. And it's not going to be visibly perfect because if it's got a split ear or if it's got a miscolor, a discoloration on its coat, that it's somehow going to affect the meat when they eat it. That's, that's not the issue. The issue is that a perfect lamb serves a symbolic purpose. That is to relate to a perfect God requires from us perfection. And either we got to be perfect ourselves or the thing in our place must be perfect. More than this, this we find in verses 3 and 4 that this lamb is chosen on the 10th day of this month. And then the 10th and the 11th and the 12th and the 14th day. And on the 14th day, it's finally killed. And it begs the question, why not just get it the night before? Or the same day, right? Right? Why do we got to keep it for those four or five days? Why do we have to keep it for that long? 
You can imagine, picture it in your own home. Some of homes, I imagine, in Israel, we know that they were shepherding an agricultural people. Many of them would have had sheep. Worked around sheep that would have been familiar with animals. And so many would have just been able to pick a lamb from their own flock. Others wouldn't have had that. Dads would have gone off serving, doing whatever dad did. And imagine coming home on that tenth day and dad is carrying, he's bringing a, an adorably white lamb. I've got four boys. It would take less than 24 hours for that lamb to have a name. And that night, that lamb is staked out in some way close by. It's protected. And for those, for those days leading up to its death, you're feeding it special. You're caring for it special. You're providing your housing. You're doing everything specially for it. It's the first time it's been away from its mom. It's been the first time it's away from its flock. You can imagine it's bleeding. Maybe I can imagine one of my boys going out and laying down with it, trying to comfort it. Can you see that? Your children, you, have, you can see them doing something like that. For day after day after day, you increasingly identify with this animal. It's not merely to be convenient that you're going to go pick it up from the store on your way home and drive home and, okay, now let's celebrate. I got this lamb out of the freezer section. It's going to taste delicious. No, this is one we identify with. This is one we are to get to know. This lamb is for each of them. But the use of the lamb doesn't stop there on this Passover night. The 14th day, that lamb that has become so identified with that family, it's taken out. And that family must kill that lamb. And that blood is collected in a basin of some kind. And Moses gives us the instruction in verse 22, 23, that they are to take a a branch from a a hyssop tree. It's a small tree slash bush. They grew plentifully all throughout that area. And they're just supposed to find one, grab a branch, break it off, dip it in there, and use the leaves from that tree to paint the doorposts and the lintel of their house. The rest of the lamb is to be roasted and eaten as part of this feast and celebration of God's deliverance. And everything that people do, they are doing because they are trusting God. They're believing that what God says is true. He is going to come. He is going to pass through the land. And this is his way of salvation. And if I believe him, I'm going to act. I'm going to do this. So let me just make a few comments about this lamb. First, it becomes clear that The blood of the lamb, by the blood of the lamb, God himself is satisfied. The just penalty of a holy God passing through the land in judgment is satisfied by this lamb. We see this in verse 13 of chapter 12. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land. God himself provides the way of escape. God himself promises that when he sees the blood of the lamb, he is going to pass over 
The death of the Lamb, the blood of the Lamb, satisfies the justice of God. More than this, the Lamb himself, the Lamb itself, is a substitute, isn't it? For day after day after day, this family begins to identify with this Lamb. And in verse 30 of chapter 12, we read, So Pharaoh rose in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. So the Israelites have a Lamb, they have nothing, and so there is not one house where someone has not died. But that statement is true, not just of those in Egypt, but it is also true of those in Israel. It may not be true that someone in the family died, but death is in every home. For that lamb is a substitute for those in that home. This lamb is himself, is itself a substitute. It has died as a sacrifice in the place of another. More than this, by the death of the lamb, God saves his people. We read that repeatedly that the people of Israel throughout this time, they are eating together. They are eating the Passover lamb. They've got the blood on the doorpost and on the lintel of the home. And as they're eating together and celebrating, confident that God is going to be true to his word, the Lord is passing over. And so while death is striking the Egyptians, they are safe inside. Outside, the destroyer rages and death ravages every home. But those who by faith marked their homes with the blood of the Lamb are rendered safe by God, saved by the blood of the Lamb. Last thing that we see is that it is by the death of the Lamb that God redeems his people. This is really made clear in the next chapter, in chapter 13 where the emphasis is upon the firstborn. It's been mentioned, but chapter 13 highlights that, that it's going to be the firstborn male, that everything that is born, the firstborn of every living thing, whether animal or human, the firstborn male has to be redeemed in some way. It is, it has to be redeemed by a sacrifice. And if it's not redeemed by a sacrifice, it must be killed. An animal must be killed if it's not going to be redeemed if it's not going to be bought. And the emphasis is this, that there is this regular reminder that life is bought at the expense of another. Every life must be redeemed. And the redemption price for that life is a lamb. Redemption isn't something that is earned. It's not something that is worked for or achieved It is something that is bought. It is something that is bought by God himself for his people. And what we are reminded of as Christians this week, even as the Jewish calendar tells us that Wednesday is that first day of Passover, we are reminded that Christ is that lamb. In John chapter 1, Twice, John the Baptist makes the statement, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Paul himself is going to declare in 1 Corinthians 5, 27, that Jesus is that Passover Lamb. 
All throughout his gospel, the Apostle John goes to great lengths to identify Christ with the Passover, with the lamb that is slain on Passover day. To the point where John mentions a detail that no other gospel writer mentions. John talks about, he he mentions that the, the, the means by which the sodden sponge is raised to the lips of Jesus, whereby he might satisfy his thirst, the thing that they use to raise that sponge is a hyssop branch. The very means by which the Israelites painted the doorpost and the lintel with the blood of the Lamb. That lamb is none other than Christ. It is Christ, and by his blood, he redeems us. Which is why we say, every time we gather around this table, I am bought with a price. I'm not my own. Friends, we gather because we have been bought by the blood of Christ Jesus. Indeed, this, this joy, this celebration that Israel had, they, they, this Passover becomes such a momentous event that for the rest of their history, they are to be celebrating the Passover. And brothers and sisters, that Passover was merely a picture, a pale picture of the great sacrifice, the great Passover lamb, Christ, and his sacrifice we will sing of and rejoice in forever. We see this in Revelation chapter 5. Then I looked, John writes, then I looked and I heard around the throne of God and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and glory and honor and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven, on earth and under the earth and in the sea, and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Friends, this is what will echo down through eternity. This is what we will be rejoicing in. Even in Revelation chapter 12, when the people of God are under persecution, what is it that they conquer by? We are told by the blood of the Lamb. For they loved not their lives even unto death. We have a Lamb. We We cannot offer up redemption for ourselves. God himself has sacrificed For us, his own son. Friend, there is a savior. There is a savior. You cannot contribute to your standing before God in any way. We have that old song Nothing in our hands we bring, only to the cross we cling. Friend, we we got nothing to give to God. We bring nothing to the table of our salvation except our sin. We are sinners. This is true. But though we are great sinners, Christ is a greater Savior. Friends, If you're not a Christian this morning, 
Do, would you like to know what the difference is between someone who is not a Christian and someone who is? It's not someone who is wearing a suit and tie and someone who's not. It's not someone who's bearded and bald and someone who's not. The difference is that we are trusting in Jesus. It's not that we are better. It's not that Christians are somehow more righteous in themselves, holier in themselves. It's that Christians are leaning hard on Jesus. Friend, if you would like to know that you can, that God will forgive your sin, that he will when you answer to him at the end of days, that he will pass over you. Do not look to yourself. Do not look to a friend. Do not look to a religious leader, a pastor, or a parent. Look to Jesus. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you who have trusted and leaned hard on Jesus, have you forgotten that you are and have been bought. Your life is not your own. What does that tell you about your your work this week? The words that you're going to say, the words that you're going to type in, or to write on, what does that say about where your eyes linger? about what you do with your hands? What does that say about the things that you think belong to you? You have been bought. We have nothing, not even our own breath. Friend, remember who bought you. Remember to whom you belong. Remember Jesus. Not only trust him, but follow after him. It is for this reason that we celebrate this table together. That Paul will declare this. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Every time the Israelites celebrated Passover, they are remembering the Exodus event. And every time we take this table, We take this cup, we take this bread, we are remembering what Jesus has done. Let us pray. Father, oh, how good you are to us. Having given us your own Son, Christ, how merciful you are compassionate you are in having come to bear our sin. Grant us grace today. 
that we may revel in this truth. But know what state we find ourselves, whether there are things in our lives going well or whether we find ourselves under deep trials passing through the floods, let us remember that we belong to you. And because we belong to you, nothing can move us. Nothing can shake us loose from your love. Oh, Father, work in our hearts, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.